Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday the 6th of October 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Jeremiah chapter 8, verses 18 to 22 and brings us a message entitled, A Seasonal Service. Thank you, Graham, for your ministry. You'll find our Bible reading this evening in the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8. And we're coming into the chapter at verse 18. Jeremiah 8. We're going to read from verse 18 to verse 22. This is the word of the Lord. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored. We thank God for his word. Father, we thank you for the word of the Lord, that word that lives and abides forever, that incorruptible seed. We thank you for the gracious ministry of the Holy Spirit. We pray that as we look into your word this evening, that the Holy Spirit might work in my heart, that he might work in all our hearts tonight, and that we will respond to your word in a way that shall glorify your name and result in our good, for Jesus' sake. Amen. If someone were to ask the question, what is success? What would your response be? I suppose most People would think in terms of achieving their goal, acquiring wealth or fame, prestige or power. In the eyes of some successful people are those who enjoy the good life, being financially and economically secure, being surrounded and admired by all and enjoying the fruits of one's hard endeavor. Successful people are the leaders, the opinion makers, the trendsetters of our age. And their example is emulated and their achievements are applauded. They know supposedly who they are and where they are going and they are confident of achieving their targets. By these standards, Jeremiah was a miserable failure. For 40 years, he had served the Lord faithfully and as God's spokesman to Judah, but when he spoke, nobody listened. 
Constantly and consistently and compassionately, he urged the people to turn to God, but no one responded. He he certainly did not receive material success. He was poor. He experienced deprivation as a consequence of his faithfulness. If you read through the prophecy, you discover that at one time he was thrown into prison, then into a cistern. He was taken to Egypt against his will. He was rejected by his neighbors, by his family. The false prophets and the false priests opposed him along with his so-called friends. Throughout his earthly life, he stood alone declaring the word of the Lord, announcing the coming new covenant, and weeping over the fate of his beloved land and nation. And in the eyes of the world, he was anything but a success. But in the eyes of God, Jeremiah was one of the most successful people in all of history. For success as measured by God involves certain things. It involves obedience to the word of God, faithfulness to the things of God, regardless of the opposition and personal cost. Jeremiah courageously and faithfully proclaimed the word of God. He was obedient to his heavenly calling. His message was repent, turn to God, or else he will deal with your sin in judgment. And he agonized over his message. He saw the big picture and it wasn't a pretty sight. And the world in Jeremiah's day was heading for judgment and few there were who cared. A young doctor had just taken up his first appointment as a GP in a small village practice. Wanting to get off to a good start, he turned up bright and early for his first patient, hoping fervently it would be someone whose condition would be easily diagnosed. Just at that moment, an elderly gentleman came into the surgery. He looked at the doctor, hoping for a prompt and exact diagnosis. And after a while, the doctor remained mystified. He then asked his patient if he ever had these symptoms before, and the old man said he had. Well, said the young man, whatever you've had, you have it again. And you know, as we look out into our world tonight and consider the history of humanity and note the chaos and the confusion, the cruelty and the carnage, the young doctor's comments seemed appropriate. Whatever the world has had, it has never gone away. The young prophet must have felt like that as he surveyed the actions and the attitude and the apathy that marked the days in which he lived. The need of the people was great. Their hearts were deceitful. Their wills were stubborn. And the servant of God comes to them with a deep burden, a tear-stained face, and a broken heart. He's known as the weeping prophet. In fact, there is a book devoted to his weeping. It's called The Lamentations of Jeremiah. And in the second chapter, verse 13, he highlights the two evils that identified the people of his day. He says this, They had forsaken the living and true God. The spring of living water, the source of true and lasting blessing, the fountainhead of life-giving water. And secondly, they had also made for themselves 
cracked, broken cisterns which couldn't cold water. They had turned from that which was real and true and replaced it with that which was false and worthless. Someone has said that today we live in a world where the multitude of people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And the message of the prophet to his people is the message for all of us this evening. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Is that you tonight? God knows the heart. The harvest is past, the summer is ended. And we are not saved. You see, as I explore this text tonight, as I try to put a handle on the message of the prophet, I see here an ailment that needed to be examined. What Jeremiah witnessed in his day in 627 B.C. could be applied to our day. The ailment that polluted the hearts and minds of the people is still rampant today. Every newspaper, magazine contains evidence of it. The symptoms are there to be seen. Hate, lust, greed, violence, selfishness. Symptoms of a godless society, a society that doesn't even acknowledge that there is a God and is not aware of their accountability to the Almighty. And as one looks across the broad acres of our world tonight, one doesn't have to be a rocket scientist to conclude that there is something wrong. The problem is that men and women have refused to open their ears to hear the truth, have refused to open their eyes to see their need of the truth, the truth about God, the only wise, true, eternal, living God. Our Creator God. They ignore His Word and they believe the lie of the devil. And the Bible defines such behavior and such response as sin. Maybe there are some who are beginning to realize that the problem of our needy world is more than environmental. It's not the outcome of bad housing or unemployment or the unequal distribution of wealth and the lack of education and the presence of sectarianism. I'm not saying that these things cannot contribute to the problem, but man's greatest ailment cannot be solved by political or social reform. Neither can this ailment be cured by man himself. There is a deeper problem, and if this is addressed, then it will result in the other problems being met as well. The Bible is emphatic that lying at the root of man's problem is sin. The story of the grandfather clock comes to mind. The hands on it were showing the wrong time, and someone came along, put a notice and a piece of string around the handles, and the, the, the hands of the clock and the notice said, don't blame us, the problem lies deeper. Isn't that true with humanity tonight? But what is sin? D.L. Moody asked a group of 500 children in the Usher Hall in Glasgow two centuries ago, what is sin? And every boy and girl in that hall responded, sin is any want of conformity to the law of God. They were brought up in the Westminster Confession of Faith and in the Shorter Catechism. Not a bad way to be brought up. Sin is any want 
of conformity to the law of God. We need to get to the root of the problem and see sin for what it really is. It's a revolt against God. That's why it's serious. Sin is the setting up of our own independence. The mindset, the mindset that says we can make it on our own. And such an attitude affects us all when it comes to the salvation of our soul. In the heart of every man, woman, boy or girl, sin is lurking and liable to break out at any moment in its various ugly forms. Pride, jealousy, perversity of speech, evil and wicked deeds. And if we're honest with ourselves and with God, we know that all of us have sinned. And that sin dwells within every heart. It's the Jeremiah who says in chapter 17 and verse 9 that the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. The heart of the problem, of course, is the problem of the heart. It's deceitful. There's nothing more deceitful than the deceitfulness of sin. It's wicked. And its wickedness manifests itself in a variety of ways. The prophet says, who can know it? God knows it. God sees it. Not that fallen man is incapable of doing good. Jesus Christ himself told us here one day that even evil men are able to give good gifts to their children. But man in his understanding, in his will, in his affections and conscience has been contaminated by this ailment that the Bible calls sin. And the consequences, of course, is physical death. One day you and I will die. Richard Baxter wrote a book entitled The Reformed Pastor. And in his book, he said, he often said to his congregation, you're listening to a dying man preaching to dying men and women. Sometimes when people leave this world, you'll hear people say, they've left the land of the living. No, they haven't. They've left the land of the dying, and if they're the Lord's, they're going to the land of the living. The consequences of sin is physical death. One day you and I will die. There's also spiritual death. That is something which affects us right now. Millions, millions are living every day without Jesus Christ as their Savior. They are physically alive but spiritually dead without God and without Jesus Christ and without real hope. And this is so serious. If you go to your doctor with a pain and discover that an important part of your body has stopped functioning, and if it's not treated in the prescribed manner, in a matter of months you will be dead. You will not leave that surgery lighthearted about your condition. There will be a measure of concern, and rightly so, regarding your physical condition and your physical need. And yet many show little concern for a condition which, if not taken seriously and not dealt with in the divinely prescribed manner, it will damn them in hell for all eternity. The harvest has passed. The summer has ended. You're not saved. There's an ailment that needs to be examined. There's an answer that needs to be explained. Just as important as it is to make the right diagnosis from the symptoms as to what the ailment 
is, so it is equally important to prescribe the appropriate remedy that can deal with the ailment effectively. The Bible tells us that sin is a radical disease and it requires a radical remedy. The sinner needs to be brought from the place of being self-sufficient to being God-dependent. You see, there are two things that prevent people from coming to Christ. One is unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. That's another way of defining sin. Sin says, I'm all right the way I am. I have got my home. I have got my car. I've got my job. I've got my family. Things are going well. Who needs God? That is unrighteous thinking. And that is a stumbling block that prevents people from coming to God. But there's another stumbling block. It's not unrighteousness. It's self-righteousness. An attitude that says, I am all right the way I am. I'm not as bad as the next fellow in my neighborhood. I'm not as bad as that woman that works in the office beside me. I'm better than your average Self-righteousness has damned multitudes this evening and is damning multitudes. Sin causes us to be blind to our need. And sin deceives us by allowing us to think that somehow or other we can make it on our own, that somehow or other we can achieve a righteousness that will satisfy God. We need God's righteousness. And we need to be brought from the prison house of sin into the glorious freedom of sins forgiven. You see, sin in me makes me dead spiritually, and a dead person can do nothing to save themselves. I need an enlightened mind. I am blinded by the God of this world. I need a new heart to love the things that please God. I need a a transformed will, one that is no longer in bondage to sin. There is only one who can meet that threefold need tonight, and his name is Jesus, the beloved Son of God. What I am unable to do for myself, God has accomplished through the death of his Son on the cross of Calvary. When I was a boy, here was a hymn that was often sung within the context of a missionary meeting. We have heard a joyful sound Jesus saves, and so he does. And one line reads like this, By his death and endless life, Jesus saves. And that is good news. That's the gospel. The Bible teaches me that the basis upon which a man, a woman, a boy, or a girl can approach a holy God is only through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And in Hebrews 11, we read that by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice in Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testified to his gifts, and though being dead, still speaks. Genesis chapter 4, that's where the writer in Hebrews 11 has taken us to. In Genesis 4, Cain's offering was marred by the absence of blood. And Abel's offering was marked by the presence of blood. 
when the time came for God to bring out the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, how did he do it? He did it on the basis of blood. Those who were under the blood were saved. Those who were not under the blood perished. And all of this in the Old Testament was a picture of a day that was yet to be and has since passed when Jesus, the promised Messiah, would come. And John would identify him as the Lamb of God who would come to take away the sin of the world. Blood had to be shed. And Augustus Toplady put it in his hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Another hymn puts it like this, Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Jesus is the answer for the world tonight. And without him, there is no other way. Jesus alone is the answer. And Jeremiah was presenting to these people a coming day when the Messiah would come and they would enter into a new covenant through that redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's an ailment that needs to be examined. The harvest, the, the harvest has passed. The summer has ended. The harvest has passed. We are not saved. There's an answer that needs to be explained. But as I close tonight, there's an attitude here that needs to be exposed. You hear tonight, and in your heart you're saying, I know I'm a sinner. I've not kept the law of God all the days of my life perfectly. I know that Jesus is the only Savior, but not just yet. You see, Jeremiah presents here what we might call a rhetorical question. Here's the question. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? You know, sometimes when I was a boy, and I was rushing out, and I had to come into the house or into the, the room where my mum was. She looked at me and she said, there's no soap in the house. Of course there was soap in the house. But I hadn't applied it to the places I need to apply it. Stories told of two men walking down the road. One day one was cynical. And he said to his Christian friend, how could there be a God? How could there be a saviour? How could there be this gospel? Look at the people. Look at their behaviour. Look at their mindset. Look at the way they live. There's no God. Couldn't be a God if people got all like that. And he says, look at that boy. You tell me you own a soap factor? Look at that boy. Look at the dirt in his face. Look at the dirt in his knees. Look at the dirt in his hands. No such a thing as soap. The man says, nonsense, there is soap. We produce soap. The problem is not in the product. The problem is in the application. He won't apply the soap. I can't remember a time when I didn't know the gospel. I can't remember a time when I didn't know John 3 and verse 16. And how I thank God for that. How I thank God that I wasn't sent to church once on a Sunday. I was brought to church twice on a Sunday, having been to Sunday school morning and evening. Never regret that once. Godly grandparents, godly parents, who loved me enough not to take me serious when I said I don't want to go to church. 
They said, I'm a sore head. Wash your face. You'll feel all right afterwards. It's amazing what washing your face does for you. I knew the gospel, but I never applied it. Jeremiah says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? There was an old song, yes, there is a balm in Gilead that can make the wounded whole. But this balm had to be applied. The care and the remedy of the physician had to be appropriate. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? There was, but they did not avail themselves of it. What an awful eternity. What an awful eternity. For those who for a lifetime have sat through the gospel, I think of many tonight, know the gospel. Know when the gospel's not been preached. Can sit in a funeral service and say to their loved ones, that man didn't preach the gospel. That man was not faithful to the gospel, and yet they themselves have never appropriated the gospel. They've never said, Jesus, I will trust you. Trust you with my soul. Guilty. Lost. Helpless. You can make me whole. I can remember the night that God took a dealing with me, young man in his early teens. And before I became a Christian, I knew of many who needed to become Christians. I could have filled pages. But what a difference when God searched my heart and the spotlight of God's word penetrated my soul. When I realized that had there been no one else, I was the sinner. And Christ died for me. The old harvest hymn puts it like this, many summers you have wasted. Ripened harvest you have seen. Summer snows by spring have melted, yet you linger in your sin. Come believing, come receiving, come to Jesus, look and live. The harvest has passed. The summer has ended. Oh, don't put your head on your pillow tonight and say, we're not saved. But come to Christ tonight. How? Just as you are. And avail yourself of the provision that he has made for your sin and for the sin of all who come to him. We thank God for his word. Let us pray.